Hi. Happy Wednesday evening. I'm Blake Formanic. I attend Calvary Community Church here, as well as uh, Florida Bible College of Tampa. So last time I was here, we didn't have as many people, and I was doing the handouts, and I printed off 10, and it seemed to work pretty well, but we got a little bit more of a fuller house tonight. So hopefully most people are covered. If not, maybe some could share or snapshot some pictures. All right. Well, um, a, little, uh, a little thing about what we're doing today is uh, I was here a, la- a, f- a few weeks ago um, teaching part one of the, the Feast of Israel and the Messianic fulfillment of those feasts found in the Messiah. Um, what I'm going to do is, uh, first of all, just some reminders from part one um, to catch up to speed. We, we did an overview of the book of Genesis. Uh, We went from the time of Abraham to the nation of Israel. We talked about Abraham as well as a a figure called Melchizedek, and we remember that he is a priest of the Most High God. We went on to Exodus and Leviticus, uh, which were the first, we looked at the first two feasts. Uh, That would be Passover and the Feast of Unleavened Bread. We talked more about the Messiah's priesthood after the order of Melchizedek in prophecy. Uh, And then I just want to remind you as we're going into this, some of the words from Jesus in Matthew chapter 5, verses 17 and 18, uh, where he said that he would fulfill all of the law of Moses uh, from Genesis to Deuteronomy, uh, specifically in the law. And that would imply the feast too, because the feast are found in Leviticus chapter 23. So, again, we did the first two feasts, and now coming into part two, we're going to look at the third feast, uh, and that one is called the Feast of First Fruits, as you'll see on your handout. That is, it happens to be an agricultural festival, and uh, this kicks off the, the annual harvest. When we were in Israel, uh, it would have been February, we saw a lot of agriculture. I had heard that there was going to be some agriculture. Uh, Louis Hernandez pointed out that it's a very agricultural uh, place. And then when we got there, we saw a lot of it, banana trees, you name it. Um, so in your Bibles, uh, the Bible that you brought or the Church Loan Bible in the pew in front of you, I'd like you to turn to Leviticus chapter 23 with me. So I invite you to turn to Leviticus chapter 23. And in the Old Testament, this is known as the Feast Chapter. The Feast Chapter. Again, there's seven year-round annual feasts, four of which take place in the spring, and three of which take place in the fall. So Leviticus chapter 23, I'm going to start to read and pick up where we left off in verse 10. Verse 10 says, Once you're there and you're with me, verse 10 says, Speak unto the children of Israel, and say unto them, When ye be come into the land which I give unto you, and ye shall reap the harvest thereof, then ye shall bring a sheaf of the firstfruits unto the priest, and he shall wave the sheaf before the Lord to be accepted for you. On the morrow after the Sabbath, the priest shall wave it. 
So if you've never read this passage before or just kind of glanced over it, you might not be exactly sure about the terminology or picturing in your head what's going on here. To summarize it, the first fruits are the first group of grains uh, of the harvest that can be seen in the ground. Again, it's an agricultural society. The Israelite would then be instructed to bring the, uh, the bundle of first fruits to the priest, the bundle of crops to the priest, the interceding priest. The priest would then wave it before the Lord, and God would accept these first fruits, and as well as the rest of the harvest that would take place that spring. So, uh, again, you see how the priest is, uh, is an intercessor, and the priest has involvement. The Levitical priests have involvement, as they do with every feast that, we're, that we've talked about and are going to talk about. Well, in a way, because Jesus has his priesthood after the order of Melchizedek, which we learned in part one, um, Jesus, he waves himself and the believers for God's acceptance. He is the interceding priest and the first to rise from the dead, hence the first fruits. After he rose and was accepted, all believers after him are accepted too. And I put, as you notice in your handout, in quotations, but it is a spiritual harvest. There's the physical harvest, and then there's a spiritual harvest that Jesus is talking about. So, uh, quite plainly, folks, uh, first fruits is about resurrection. It's about the resurrection. And it becomes even more clear, especially in the New Testament, which we'll look at soon. Uh, but I, I, I point your attention to, to something interesting. Again, time schedule. There's a calendar, as we saw in part one of the series, there's a calendar of all of these feasts. Passover, unleavened bread. Passover's on the 14th of the month. Unleavened bread's on the 15th of the month, as well as a Sabbath. And then first fruits, according to the text, should be on the 16th of the month at following the Sabbath. So, and, and that's when the Levitical priest would wave the sheaf offering before the Lord for acceptance for the harvest. Well, in your handout, I did inc- include in parentheses that Jesus resurrects in close time frame to first fruits. Remember, he has a time schedule. We point that out in John chapter 7, where Jesus talks about my time. My time has not yet come. And then later, in Mark chapter 14, he says the hour has come. So throughout his ministry, you see that there is a, there's an agenda. There's a schedule. There's times when things need to happen. And uh, just remember that Jesus dies on Passover. It just so happens and then he's buried during unleavened bread, and then now he's rising for the festival of first fruits, for this sheaf offering to wave uh, when the Levitical priests are waving the offering before the Lord. There he is, resurrected. And just to, to prove my point that I'm not crazy or creative, because people can do that, people can do that, but I always want to point you to our friend, the Scripture. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, if you could meet me in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. This in the New Testament, I make a point, this in the New Testament is the resurrection chapter, 
Just as Leviticus 23, we have the feast chapter in the Old Testament. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, we have the resurrection chapter in the New Testament. So let's, let's, let's see what the Apostle Paul had to say. Uh, in verse 20, if you can meet me in verse 20, chapter 15, verse 20 of 1 Corinthians, it reads, But now is Christ risen from the dead and become the what? The first fruits. The first fruits of them that slept. In other words, died. So again, we have a direct identification um, between uh, Jesus Christ and the festival of first fruits. And the Apostle Paul makes it very clear directly that that's, that's fulfilled in Christ. We go on to read in verse 22, it's worth mentioning, because here's the gospel right here. For as in Adam all die, even so in Christ shall all be made alive. That pairs greatly, with, in my mind, with Romans chapter 6, verse 23. For the wages of sin is death. But the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Again, for as, Adam, for as in Adam all die. Go back to Romans, for the wages of sin is death. Go back to uh, Corinthians. And so in Christ shall be made alive. Go back to Romans. But the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. It's, 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 it's a direct, it's, it, because they're both about the gospel, and it, it's a direct relationship. Well, and if, if that wasn't enough, uh, I'd like to bring James in on the conversation. Our good friend James, the Apostle James, flip to James chapter 1. Flip to James chapter 1. And I want to point out in our next selection of scripture, I want to point, if you're there, I want to point your attention to verse 18. Verse 18, it says... James chapter 1, verse 18 says, Of his own will begot he us with the word of truth, that we should be a kind of what? First fruits of his creatures. Again, even with James backing it up, it's a direct identification between, uh, well, in this case, the believers as first fruits, but we're included in that bundle, which is great. Um, so again, I'm not crazy. This, it's, it's in the scripture, and with the scripture's authority, we, we have authority when it's there, we have authority to make that connection. And God wants us to. Um, so, in, in, your, uh, in your handout, the next section that I, I have written uh, after 1 James 1.18 is, is that it's a spiritual harvest of souls. This is all about a spiritual harvest of souls. And I'll support that with that in, in Jesus' ministry, throughout his ministry... Uh, he spoke agriculturally and spiritually of this same harvest. You can flip the page now uh, in, your, um, in your handout, and I've supplied a few verses to back this up. John chapter 4, verse 35. Um, you can go there if you want, but I'm going to go through. It's going to be quite a bit of scripture, so it'll be a lot of, a lot of page turning. But uh, John chapter 4, verse 35, the second part of that verse Jesus says, lift up your eyes and look on the fields, for they are white already for what? Harvest. Harvest. We're picking up the theme. So it's a spiritual harvest, not a physical one, because we know from the same, using the correct context, we know that the physical harvest was not ready for four more months. So 
he's not talking about a physical harvest, even though it's at the time that you would have a physical harvest. Um, it's a spiritual. He's speaking spiritually. And it's not surprising that he speaks this way because a couple chapters later, in John chapter 6, verse 63 on your handout, Jesus says, It is the spirit that quickeneth, the flesh profiteth nothing. The words that I speak unto you, they are spirit and they are life. The words are spirit and they are life. Moving on, speaking more of the harvest, Matthew chapter 9, verses 37 and 38 in your handout says, Then saith he unto his disciples, Jesus, The harvest truly is plenteous, but the laborers are few. Pray ye therefore the Lord of the harvest, that he will send forth laborers into his God's harvest. Again, a spiritual harvest. Um, For the sake of time, I, I just... In passing, I did put it in your handouts, but Luke chapter 10, verse 2, and also in in Mark chapter 4, verse 29, speak of the same harvest. That's more support um, of the spiritual harvest, just that, again, for the sake of time, I can't give every verse. Moving on, Jesus is the first of this harvest, the first of the harvest. John chapter 12, verse 24, Jesus' words, Verily, verily, I say unto you, Except the corn of wheat fall into the ground and die, again, agricultural terms, it abideth alone. But if it die, it bringeth forth much fruit. I understand that in this study, that if it die, speaking of himself, and it brings forth much fruit, as in us, we are the fruit. And I can't help but see this as a prophecy of resurrections which again coincides with first fruits. The next section that I I, I put a statement that was very important is that his resurrection is our resurrection. His resurrection is our resurrection. I've supplied some passages from the Old Testament uh, that show that there was resurrection prophecy in the Old Testament. Uh, resurrection is not just a New Testament concept or theology or doctrine. Uh, in the Old Testament, it was, it, was, it was expected in the end of days. They just missed that the Messiah would be the first one to resurrect. But there was going to be, in their mind, a general resurrection. Uh, in, in, the, in Hosea, the prophet Hosea, chapter 6, verse 2, it says, After two days will he, speaking of God, revive us, in the third day, he will raise us up, and we shall live in his sight. Centuries before the New Testament, so they had it from the prophet Hosea. I couldn't help but put that in John chapter 6, verse 40. Jesus says, I will raise him up at the last day. Hosea said God would. Jesus says, I will. Uh, can't help but see that that's Jesus speaking in the power of God as God with his authority, that he, would be the, he, that he would raise us up. Moving on, still staying in the Old Testament, but the prophet Daniel. The prophet Daniel, this is good too. Daniel chapter 12, verse 2, tremendous verse, says, And many of them that sleep in the dust of the earth shall awake. That's a resurrection. 
some to everlasting life, and some to shame and everlasting contempt. There you have it, eternal destination after a resurrection. Eternal heaven, eternal hell, resurrection. Two places, eternal heaven, eternal hell, but a resurrection on the same. Um, and then I can't help it, but then think about John chapter 11, verse 25, and it's in your handouts. This all comes together when Jesus says another profound I am statement. I am the resurrection and the life. So, and, and to further paraphrase, he that believeth in me, he shall live. This is the eternal life and resurrection that the prophet Daniel spoke of. And Hosea, and we can find it in David and the Psalm. There's other places too for this. That's amazing. An asterisk I put to sum it up, Jesus is the key to the resurrections. There's resurrections. There's eternal uh, state but it goes through Jesus. Jesus is the key to the resurrections. You don't have Jesus, you don't have the right one. You'll get a resurrection, <laughs> an eternal one, but uh, Jesus is the one that raises us up. He's the one that we go through for eternal life and the resurrections that the prophets spoke of throughout the Old Testament. Um, he's the first who raises up the rest. He's the first fruits. Well, as I feel like I've beaten that point, I will move on. And for sake of time, I'll make it, I'll start pedaling the wheels a little faster because uh, there's just so much to, to study. Um, but the fourth feast, moving on to Pentecost or Shavuot in the Hebrew. The, the, the what, the year and a half of Hebrew is paying off. I hope so. All right. <laughs> this is the fullness of the harvest. Remember, we talked about the harvest, the spring harvest with the crops and the agriculture. Uh, first fruits, again, this is the beginning of the harvest. Uh, Shavuot is the fullness of the harvest that happens 50 days later. So you got uh, March, April, Passover, unleavened bread, first fruits. Then you move out 50 days and you're into like late May, early June when the, there's a ripeness of the crops. Um, the fullness of the harvest. Meet me back again in Leviticus chapter 23, our feast chapter, because now we got to go back and look at this, uh, the fourth feast. We need some context. Leviticus chapter 23. All right, perfect. Leviticus chapter 23, I'm going to pick up in verse 15. Verse 15. And ye shall count unto you uh, from the morning after the Sabbath, from the day that ye brought the sheaf of the wave offering. Remember the priest did the wave offering in the temple before the Lord on first fruits? Seven Sabbaths shall be complete. We're talking after that. Well, a Sabbath is, takes up a, I mean, a Sabbath is the seventh day a week, so we're talking seven weeks. Seven times seven is 49 days. There's a meticulous timing to this. Moving on to verse 16, it says, Even unto the morrow, the day after, the, sa the seventh Sabbath, shall ye number fifty days. Forty-nine plus one's fifty. So now we get the fifty days, and ye shall offer a new meat offering unto the Lord. 
And for the sake of time, again, as uh, in your handouts, I just, uh, I kind of, in the, in the following uh, verses 17 through 20, I kind of list off some of the, the different offerings that are required. Verse 17, there were uh, more meat offerings, br- bread. Uh, verse 18, there's offerings of lambs and rams. Verse 19, there's a goat and two lambs that are offered. Verse 20, the priest waves the bread and lambs for himself. Um, quote unquote from the from verse 20, they shall be holy to the Lord for the priest. So, uh, and needless to say, Jesus, as a priest of the order of Melchizedek, superior to the Levitical priesthood, doesn't have to wave an offering for himself. He doesn't have sin. Well, again, I bring you back to the calendar of these feasts. Just as, and I'm, I'm reading along in your, in your handout, just as Pentecost, or Shavuot, is on schedule for 50 days after the Passover, Jesus, again, has a schedule. This guy's busy. <laughs> he has, again, has a schedule. After the resurrection, in Luke chapter 24, verse 49... Jesus gives uh, some special instructions to his uh, disciples, um, specifically to tarry or wait in Jerusalem till the Holy Spirit come, as promised beforehand in the prophets, and John the Baptist in Matthew chapter 3, and then John chapter 15, Jesus promises himself that he'll send the Spirit. This coincides with the day of Pentecost, or Shavuot, in Acts chapter 2. And Acts chapter 2 is where the Holy Spirit descended on the day of Pentecost. So again, messianic activity following along at the same time that Israel's celebrating a feast. Again, very uh, tedious to the day. I did, I did put some other things uh, in asterisks, and I'm going to make a couple of points here. Uh, I put according, and I thought this was, this was still useful to incorporate. Uh, according to Jewish oral tradition, Shavuot or Pentecost is the same day that the law was given on Mount Sinai. Watch what I say here specifically. I say, but I only teach inspired scripture as concrete truth. I will maybe mention some things that uh, could, be, could work, but, but obviously I'm going to stick to what the Scripture says. If the Scripture supports it, gives us the authority of truth, then we can, talk, then, then we can, we can, we can use that. But um, the next section, I still brought, the whole reason why I still brought up this section was because, however, I do support that these events are in the same third month of Savan on the Hebrew calendar. And are close within I don't know how many days, but it's I'm not sure if it's on the same day, but it's certainly they take place uh, on the the third month of the calendar. Um, Exodus chapter 19 will support will support that, and then Leviticus chapter 23. Uh, so if you take the time to go back and, and look at that, you can see where I I I came to the place where they are in the same month. I'm just not going to go with the oral tradition to say that it was on the same day. Um, I haven't found support for that. So uh, as, as we're getting closer to wrapping up, I, I just want to mention that there are some parallels that can be drawn, though, between um, the, old, uh, the Old Covenant and the New Covenant 
through uh, Jesus Christ is uh, in Jeremiah 31, and I did mention it's the last, uh, uh, the last line by that asterisk, is that just as the, uh, the law was given on stone tablet, well, Jeremiah 31 says that the, the, the law be written in our hearts, on our hearts. That's how Jeremiah describes it. That's new covenant language that I think is very interesting. Um, some other comparisons that I didn't put in your handout, but I'll still share with you, is that out of uh, both covenants, a called out people, a purchased people group, are as a result of both covenants, the old and the new. So in conclusion, in conclusion, from what we saw in part one is that Jesus is the Passover lamb, the unleavened bread, and uh, in part two, we see that he's the first fruits and the Shavuot. His position as priest, the priest after the order of Melchizedek, we talked about in Psalm 110, verse 4, he's given by divine decree and oath to be a priest after the order of Melchizedek. Without that, this would be a lot of conjecture minus, well, with the New Testament authority. But I'm, I'm just, the fact that he is a priest after the order of Melchizedek is huge because I, I brought you the attention, just as the Levitical priests have a role to play in these feasts, well, how did I start off the first? How is the Messiah going to be involved? If the priests are involved in almost every aspect of these feasts, how is a messianic priest greater going to, going to be involved? What's he going to do? So that's huge. He fulfills these feasts as well as his work contribute in fulfilling these feasts. And again, not only that does he film, but he's on schedule. Everything lined up when it was supposed to. In closing, I'd like you to meet me in the last portion of Scripture that we'll look at tonight, Ephesians chapter 1. Ephesians chapter 1. All right, let's just turn into the right a little bit. Ephesians chapter 1. All right, I'll start to read. Um, I make a statement on your handout again that as believers saved by faith alone in the blood of the Lamb, we currently possess eternal blessing in the heavenlies right now. That's what Ephesians 1 teaches. So that brings me to verses 13 and 14. This is one of my, and the reason why I chose to go to this, this set of verses, because I think this outlines the gospel uh, step by step so beautifully. It, it, it really does. I, I think it, it doesn't leave much room for question. I, if you're lost, go to verses 13 and 14. It says, and I will read verbatim, In whom ye also trusted, after that ye heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, in whom also, after that ye believed, you were sealed with that Holy Spirit of promise, which is the earnest of our inheritance until the redemption of the purchased possession unto the praise of his glory. So, I've broken it down further on your handout. Number one, you heard the gospel. Number two, you believed the gospel. Number three, which pretty much happens at the same time, you are sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise. 
like that. Uh, I did give two points to support the sealing as well. Uh, In John chapter 14, verse 16, Jesus says that the Holy Spirit abides with us forever. That goes with the sealing of the Holy Spirit. Further on, in John chapter 6, verse 37, Jesus says, again, he will never cast you out or lose you. It goes again to support what Ephesians 1 is teaching with being sealed, sealed with the Holy Spirit in verse 13. The fourth thing, and it's just a fact, is that we are a purchased possession. Subpoint to that is it's for his glory. We are trophies of his grace. We are his possession, and we are trophies of his grace. So you can close your Bibles right there. And I'll have you look up here. If you don't know where you're going when you die, this is the most important news in all the world. Let this hand represent you and me. And I'm going to let this phone represent sin. I put it on my hand because we all have it. According to Romans chapter 3, verse 23, uh, for, I was going to say for the wages of sin is death, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. That means all of us. We're all sinners, so we can all put that on our hand. Yeah? Um, It's a barrier between us and God. It's a barrier. We can't get to him uh, by any way of of ourself. A lot of people around the world, well, they're just, if if I can pay my way, if I can, uh, from this day forward, live an amazing life, well, they forget about all the sin they've already committed uh, and that they're going to commit, uh, it's, 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 it's useless. There's only one way. In fact, God, God takes sin so serious that he says, Romans chapter 6, verse 23, that for the wages of sin is death. Someone has to die for this. This isn't a uh, I can do better type thing. You've got to be perfect. God's perfect. We're not. That's the problem. So if, if, you get, if you're getting it, uh, Romans chapter 6, verse 23, for the wages of sin is death. There's only one way. I'm going to let this hand represent Jesus Christ. Came to earth, died on a cross, yeah, it's paid for all of our sins, past, present, and future, that's the important thing, a lot of people don't get, they're like, yeah, he paid for my sins, but he paid for past, present, and future sins, all of them, if he didn't pay for one, he didn't pay for anything, he's got to pay for everything, right, got to pay for everything, rose three days later, said, if we believe simply in what he did for us, because it's our only hope, everything else is useless, we can know that we have eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. One more time. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son that whosoever, watch this exchange, believeth in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. And again, Ephesians chapter 1, verse 13 and 14 says we're sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise. That doesn't change no matter what.